Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Milsonda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I am a managing partner at Invader Comics. And we were not talking for 45 minutes, and then I realized I didn't hit record. That didn't happen. We totally weren't. We, we <laughs> were not. This is, there's, there's no universe where this is actually a second episode after a first episode that one of us recorded and one of us didn't, so we had to start over. Correct. None of that happened. It's not that. <laughs> Keith, what are you drinking this week? What am I drinking this week? Actually, the good news is I think my voice feels a little bit better than in those 45 minutes that didn't happen. So we'll see how long that goes. I am drinking Kilt Lifter. And the reason is um, I went to a bar for the first half of the Super Bowl. I would have been there for the whole Super Bowl, although it kind of worked out well because I'm an Eagles fan and it was an Eagles bar. And it turns out that leaving at halftime was the best possible time to leave that bar because there was a lot of joy. <laughs> and uh, and uh, for, for, reason, yeah, for reasons that I may get into and bring in the bullshit and I may not, um, we, you know, basically a couple of the kids said, I want to go sit in the car, um, one because they didn't feel well and the other because they'd had enough of drunk buffoonery and things were getting more <laughs> drunky, drunk, more things are getting more drunky and more buffoony by the minute. And they were only going to get worse because people were getting more drunk. So they both went out to they were both out in the car. And then Rachel and I were there and we're like, well, look, I, I, asked, I asked Rachel, I'm like, should we go? And she's like, yeah, we probably should go in a little bit. You know, like, let me let me do this. Let me do that. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not going in a little bit. It's the beginning of the third quarter. If we're going, we're going right now. Because I want to be home in time for the fourth quarter. I'll miss the third quarter. Right. But I'm not missing the fourth quarter. And she was like, okay. Oh, slight problem. Um, Eden made the announcement that she was going out to the car right after I had bought a fourth beer. Oh. So, so I'm sitting there holding a beer and a water. And we decide we got to go. And I'm like, fuck it. YOLO. So I pounded that bitch. Hell yeah. And then we got going. Now, look, I, I, it's also worth noting, I did not drive drunk, guys. We had been there since 1.30. It was 5.30. These were Pacificos. I was perfectly fine. Yeah, right? you're so, fine. Yeah, I was fine. So anyway, but uh, but because of that, I didn't feel like anything too strong or too hazy. Kilt Lifter it is. 12 ounces, 6%, nice and smooth. Sometimes it rhymes slow. Sometimes it rhymes quick. And odds are, if I feel good after that, then I will throw some scotch down on top of that. Right on, man. Well, I am drinking Peter's Brand Classics, a, jut, excuse me, a Dutch-style Pilsner, and it is mm. only 5%. It is an imported lager beer. So um, it tastes like Coors Banquet. Yeah. As you expect <laughs> but it, from a Pilsner. Coors Banquet, except four times the price. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, my man. We got the beers out of the way. What was your first thing for the week? Okay. So I did uh, a few a few different things, a few varied things this week. And let's talk about the first thing. The first thing was that I had a surprise workshop. So I say it was a surprise because I wasn't scheduled to be part of my writer's workshop. There's four of us. As people know, I had just written um, and gotten a workshop back for the first short story I'd ever really written. Um, I'm going to call it The Party right now and just go from there. Um, that way I can help, you know, I can delineate between the first short story and the second short story. So I got that short story back. We've been talking about that the last few weeks on the podcast. That's the one that's been the subject of it. 
I had always prepared to have the second short story. We're going to call that The Woman. I had prepared to have that ready for about three weeks. In about three weeks. But what happened was, even though it wasn't my turn in workshop, the the number two, so we workshop two people at a time. So the number two person said, oop, I don't think I'm going to have pages ready. Hey, person number three, who's not Keith, how about you? Like, do you have pages ready? Because I had deferred to them. I like, let them go. My novel's done. You know, I'm just workshopping short stories. And then person number three said, sure. And then a day later, person number three said, you know, I kind of hate my novel. I don't, I don't want to fucking think about it. And I don't want to do a workshop. Keith, do you have anything? And I'm like, of course I do. <laughs> Except I kind of didn't. I really didn't. So I, I had a short story that needed a lot of work, the woman. And so what I did was a frantic 24 hours of work on it. It was frantic because this is a short story that I've mentioned before on the podcast. It is on my project timeline for the year. It's my February deliverable on my, you know, um, action plan. And uh, it is also a cutout from the novel that I've written. So the idea was to, you know, that I felt that it was promising enough where I could change some things in it and turn it into a standalone thing. And so, you know, I did my best to dress it up. Uh, I had to think of an ending. So I thought of the ending. I did the ending. And uh, then I got a workshop back. Actually, that was last night. And the great news is that the ending was good. Everybody really liked the ending. The bad news is... It's not its own story yet. It still has some fragrance from the novel. And, um, and I say that in a certain way. Let's say that the, the character in the short story is, or the character in the novel who, you know, has become the short story was a, a right-handed pitcher, right? Let's use a baseball example. So what I was excellent at was removing all the references of the person's name. I changed the name. You can do a find and replace. You can do a find and replace and just change the dude's name. And then I got rid of all the things that were like a reference to the right-handed pitcher. But the things that I fucked up were subtle references. So, for example, maybe I would say homeboy's right elbow started to ache. You know, I'm making a veiled reference to the fact that he's a right-handed pitcher, but I'm not coming out and saying it. And some of those things made their way into this and they confused the workshoppers and they correctly called it out because there was like, is this from your novel? I mean, they knew it was, but it was like, yeah, you got to watch that. So that's the bad news. Um, But I'm able to make those changes. The good news is they came back, they liked it, and they gave me a clear path to go forward with the book and um, with with the short story. And... The thing I liked the most about the the workshop was that they convinced me or they suggested something and I was like ready to go with it, which was to change the story to first person. And it serves a couple purposes, changing the story from a close third to a first person. Number one, it addresses some character issues that all three workshoppers had said were there. Um. But number two, it's, it's something I want to do. And it's something I want to do because, hey, we, we, you know, Scott and I have talked about this. I know a lot of people out there listening are, are like this. We, we create and we like to make money. I create and I like to make money. I like to finance the thing I do and ideally turn a profit on it. But I don't create to make money. I create for self-fulfillment, for the journey of creation, for pushing myself in new directions and for seeing what's going to happen. So the second I heard the first person, I was like, yes, I want to do that because I've never done it before and I want to play with first person. And that's the beauty of one shot comics 
It's the beauty of short stories. You get to experiment with some stuff without committing too much to it. So we'll see where it goes. I'm, I'm happy with the notes. I'm happy that they liked it on the for the most part. Um, I'm not. I don't think it's going to need a ton of work. Um, we'll see what it looks like after this pass, where I change it from third to first, and uh, go from there. But uh, I don't think there's more than you know. I don't know eight, ten hours total of work in this short story before it's ready to go. And I also don't think there's more than maybe three, four hours total work in the party before it's ready to go. And that that achieves my goal. I get two short stories in hand, and then I can send those out to publications and see if, and see if anybody wants to publish them. That's great, man. And and the toughest part we've talked about is the ending. It's very hard to stick the landing, and it sounds like that happened for the short story. So that's that's great. Those Hell yeah. little things in the middle, those are easy enough to change. You know, doing your uh, yeah. your search and looking for these, and also as you're rewriting it because you're doing it in first person, you'll catch all those little nuances that were from the novel and be able to eliminate. Yeah, those. exactly. A, a, a fun side plot of that is. By changing it to first person, it immediately made the language less distanced and clinical. Because in the third person, you can say, Scott raised his beer to his lips and took a and, and took a drink, then set it back down. But in first person, you can be like, I took a pull in my beer. Right? It gets it gets much more voicey, it gets much more colloquial if you choose to do that. And that can be fun, right? Because now you're narrating as yourself instead of as like a distance third or a close third. Mm. And uh, and you can really mess with the language that way. So I, I'm already noticing that that like, yeah, man, this is much more informal and I like it that way. So uh yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm excited. That's um, awesome. So anyway, yeah, how about you? What was your first thing? Well, my first thing was um, looking at my calendar list, what I need to get done this month, and the date to hit was February 12th, and that was what I wanted to hit in order to finish my thumbnails. Now, I was able to hit it for a large majority. I was over my date by half of a day, so I actually finished all the thumbnails by February 13th, which I'm happy about because, honestly, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it um, because I was basically starting from scratch overall. Like, I had some ideas of what I wanted the story to be and things that were included inside the story, but I wasn't able to visualize it until I really just focused on the writing itself and then that visualized the story uh, more. I was able to connect some of the dialogue that the character was having and then once I was able to do that, I was able to visualize where they were in the scene. So um, I was able to go through and knock out the thumbnails in relatively quick fashion. They're obviously not as tight as you know some of the other things that I've done where I'm having a bit more of a clear vision of the world and where they are and everything like that. But I was able to knock them out and, uh, yeah, just write a little bit over that deadline date. And I'm really happy that I was able to. Okay. And this is for the short story, correct? Just, yes, I want to make sure I heard that right. Yes. So that's cool. Um, you're, you're saying something super interesting there, which is that it sounds like you started with the dialogue first. Yes. And then and then you built everything from there. And I can't that's similar to I think I mentioned that in Three Protectors, volume two, that from scene to scene, 
I I kind of made this on the fly decision on what thing needed to be written first. In action scenes, I wrote all the action first because it makes sense to do that. The action is going to dictate what the dialogue is. But in the scenes where there's a lot of talking, the dialogue dictates what the action is. And so what I would do there, you know, in in the scenes where there was a ton of action, I would just do a whole lot of scene descriptions and then figure out later where the dialogue went, where in some of the talky scenes, again, what's important is the dialogue. So it would all start with the dialogue and then you'd fill it out with the action. So super interesting that the dialogue came first. Again, there's there's no wrong way to do it. I happen to think it's a decision you make on a scene by scene basis, but it is pretty neat. And based on what you said on the podcast last week, totally makes sense that the dialogue would come first and that the action would flow from it. Yeah, and very similar to your short story is it's first-person narrative. Like, the the first part of the story definitely much is. And so mm-hmm. that's where I was running into that issue was just like, yeah, it's this character talking. Uh, it's this little boy talking, and he's just saying stuff about his life. But what is he doing during that, you know? And, and so mm-hmm. that was the piece of the puzzle that I was missing. And I was like, well, what do kids like to do? And so I was able to pull some things that I've seen – a bunch of my nephews and nieces do and kids in our neighborhood. And I was just like, yeah, I could totally have him doing that. That makes sense. That's what kids like to do. So um, it all started flowing from there and I was able to knock it out in relatively quick fashion. So um, yeah, just, just going back and forth with Ed a little bit, like saying, Hey, what is, how does this sound? And um, you know, just looking at the story and he was just like, dude, it's good. And I was like, mm-hmm. right on. So once I got his approval and and he actually liked where I was going, he likes to give me a hard time about my writing. Um, years back, I showed him issue zero, quote unquote, issue zero of Second Shift. And it was the very first completed issue of Second Shift that I had ever drawn. And it was like in my 20s. And it wasn't very good. And so like I wrote the dialogue for it and the art was just, you know, only okay. I was still learning and everything. You know, and still learning to this day, but as far as the dialogue went, it wasn't a great story. And, you know, so he likes to give me shit about it. So for him to give me the stamp of approval on the story was nice. And I was like, okay, right on, cool. And yeah. so going from there, laying the thumbnails out, it's like, all right, I have a I have a clear idea of where he is now and what he's doing. So now it's all right, let's divide this into pages and let's see if we can get to ten and um uh, you know, honestly, it's looking a little more than 10, like what I have laid out now. Everything's kind of tight, and I think I want some breathing mm-hmm. room. So we'll see how it goes. I'm going to tweak those definitely still on, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're having our creators retreat coming up this weekend, which I'm very excited for. So yeah. we're going to be doing some back and forth on some things, I would imagine, and, uh, you know, just kind of checking out what each other is doing. And I'm definitely interested yeah. to get to your, your input on this story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the great thing is if it's 10 then you can just look. Sometimes you're at 10 and you need that extra kick. So you go to 11 and that's the beauty of it. Your story can go to 11 when you need that little extra kick past 10. That's a Spinal Tap reference. Anyway, uh, okay. Uh, so, so no, that that's super cool. That's super cool. Um, and yeah, I, I sounds like I'm gonna. I'm looking forward to to getting some feedback. I mean, that's that. Look, that's the fun of these things that we're doing. This writer retreat, this creator retreat, it's just Scott and Keith. But for future create, I mean, we did um, have some people that couldn't make it. But going forward. It'll probably be a little bit more of an open vibe and we might have some more attendance there, which would be pretty cool too, you know, to get that exchange of ideas. That's, that's the, that's one of the main benefits of this, you know? So, um, 
All right. So, so my second thing is actually a second thing with three subcomponents. And that is, I, I, a week ago, I didn't know that I would have this many things artistically lined up, but I do now. Um, so I'm actually going to start with the first thing. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little bit of a weird order here. I'm going to talk about animals and, um, and animals, you know, so what happened was I hadn't talked with the artist for a while. We had had some miscommunications and missed each other. And because of that, I, I just didn't talk to him. You know, I, I, I'd given him a couple opportunities. I felt to, to connect and we missed those opportunities and, and I still wanted to turn the animal, you know, the, there were some things with the animals art where a lot of the pages were fantastic, um, but some of the pages needed work. And then we ended up never getting work done on them. So we had to cut them. And when I was talking with the animals artist on it, um, you know, maybe there, there was just, you know, miscommunication happens on both ends. Right. But what I ended up doing was um, not really communicating with the guy and working with Mike, Mike Perkins on turning this thing into something that we could do. And, and we went from thinking it was going to be like a 60 to 80 page one shot to two single issues where we're going to have separate artists. So I let the artist know, you know, after like a year and a half of not not saying anything that Animals was going to come out. And then that prompted a conversation where, you know, what we had originally originally set it up for was profit sharing on the back end. But I guess in the time between, um, the artist said they wanted to get bought out. So what proceeded there was a long exchange that took place over four days and a whole lot of emails on number one, agreeing that like, you know, that this was a change and, and what we can do about it. And number two, with me um, and he and I agreeing on a buyout amount. So we're good to go now. I'm happy. Um, it, you know, the timing of it was kind of wild because all of this happened when we were right up against the deadline to submit to Diamond. You know, for, for those of you that don't know how Diamond Publications works, you know, we're recording this in mid-February. The submission deadline to, to get to Diamond, you know, was a couple days ago for the April previews. So in February, as a publisher, you have to submit your stuff for the April previews. In the month of April, that's when people will have the opportunity to order it so that it can be shops in shops in June. And so, like, there was a, there was a, a little period of time there where I told Mike, I'm like, hey, man, we might have to pull this. In fact, I might even cancel the whole book. I'm not sure it's going to work out in terms of what I'm talking about with the artist. But thankfully, it did. And uh, and now we're ready to go on animals. So, hey, it's, it's good to go. Um, for me, it just... It just underscores the need to, number one, be clear in your communication, because, again, I'm, I'm not here to absolve myself of blame in this, right? Like, I could have communicated better. I could have communicated more. And there was miscommunication on, on you know, on my end. Um, but also to make sure you get stuff in writing, which I never did, you know, in this particular case. And, and when you're dealing with a stranger who doesn't know you from Adam, that stuff can be really important. Um, it's going to make the artist feel better because you can set payment terms to them or you can lay out clearly what you want to do. And it's going to be good on the writer end because we're all going to be clear going forward. 
Yeah, and and if you had gotten everything written down, like emails or whatever previously, then him kind of changing it up on you at the last minute wouldn't have held water. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. like, no, I I have the emails where you agree to profit sharing, so that's what Mm -hmm. we're going to go ahead and do. But unfortunately, like, you guys talked over Zoom or something like that, right? Right. And uh, so, yeah, when you're doing that, there's no... There's no no paperwork, you know, to show exactly. for it. So kind of had your feet over the fire there. So um, exactly. that sucks, but I'm glad it all worked out. Yeah, yeah. And so that was the first thing. Um, the the second artist that I ended up getting a nice arrangement with was Danny. Um, I ended up hitting up Danny. Danny was the dude that I had talked to. I think I mentioned this way back in the day. I know you know about it at Emerald City back in August mm-hmm. where I went up and talked to Danny and he sounded open to doing another Kadoja piece. And so we just firmed that up. He's going to do a Kadoja piece in the future. And um, I'm super happy. Danny is the guy who did the cover to Kadoja Leviathan's Volume 3, the trade paperback. So I've also turned that into my banner that I use. It shows a lot. It's this enormous banner. It's of a pteranodon looking right at you um, against kind of like a purple starry sky. And there's fire rising from the bottom with a whole bunch of tentacles. It's a fantastic cover. I love Danny to death. Yeah, yeah. So I'm happy to have him on for something else. I have a specific idea for him to do, and I'm excited about it. So that was the second thing. And then the third thing, which I think was the biggest surprise out of all of it, is that even though I don't talk about it, I'm always keeping an eye out for artists that can work on some stuff of mine. You know, the more properties I have going on, the the more I have a need for artists. And uh, And I came across this person on like a Facebook group. And they posted their pages and their rate. And I was like, let me hit this person up. They're a great fit for three protectors. So I did. And um, and again, after in this case, after a series of negotiations that were very firm and, uh, you know, like without getting into details too much, he had a certain way that he did things in terms of receiving payments that's favorable to artists. I have a certain way of doing things in terms of payments that's favorable to writers. Uh, so uh, he he gave me his terms. I gave him my terms and said, how can we compromise? And he was like, here's how we compromise. We do it my way, <laughs> but but you can pay for as many pages as you want. You can pay for one page at a time if that's all that you're comfortable with. So I like that, you know, like that's, he, you know, that's without him having to say it, it's a way of hedging risk. I'm obviously going to pay for more than one page at a time. I'm a big boy and I can take my chances. Plus this person's been doing comics even longer than I have. So I feel pretty good about it. So again, in this case, it was really upfront He's excited to work on three protectors. I'm excited to have him on three protectors. And it turns out that, you know, that checkbox that I had for way late in the year to have the art done to three protectors, I'm going to knock that out way sooner. Um, and I'm excited about that. You know, so three protectors volume two is probably going to be a thing. I'll just send a script out for over the next, you know, within probably two, three weeks. And then it'll just be about getting pages, making payments and and building up the, the issue. He's going to be one of two artists in three protectors volume two. Um, but yeah, man, he's a great fit. I love his style and I think it's going to make three protectors volume two really pop. Yeah, you sent me the pages. Uh, was that today or was that yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Okay, yeah. yeah the the art style fits perfectly with three protectors. It's it's fantastic, and his page rate cherry on top. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like that work with how much he's charging 
perfect, you know, like like you said, exactly. it was scheduled for later in the year. But when these opportunities come, you got to strike when you can. Make sure you lock that artist in, you know, before they realize, hey, I could make more money than this. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> get them while they're cheap, you know. And and uh, yeah. and then when their star keeps rising, then you can go, hey, I got them way back in the day when he only cost this much. So that's right. That's right. Um, so hey, man, what was your second thing? Um, I got the I got the logo ready for this new short story. So um, by the time this episode comes out, I'll be displaying stuff on my social media regarding this story because I'll be working on it. Uh, but the story is called Paradise Hills. So I had some time available after I finished Second Shift 13. Um, I did all of the consistency checks, the inconsistencies, and uh, everything looks good as far as I could tell. Me and Ed went over the script. I did the lettering, the special effects lettering. It's all done, and uh, I finished ahead of schedule. So I was like, you know what? Let me start working on this logo. I think doing the logo kind of sets the tone for the story. So I did a bunch of mock-ups of different um, uh, fonts, different letter types, and uh, uh, sent it out to you and Gary uh, along with the accidental aliens and a group of uh, Filipinos who grew up in Paradise Hills. So, you know, living in the area, they would get the vibe and kind of have like a good idea what what they're looking at. And so I got some great notes back from everyone. You and Gary differed vastly on which ones you liked. Um, I had a pick myself, but amongst the aliens and you guys, it was just like, a, C, and E were the front runners. Those those are the ones that everyone seemed to like in all of the groups. And um, I low-key kind of liked this option D. And listening to all of your guys' notes, one of the things that some of the aliens pointed out was spacing. You know, like some of the logos had really nice spacing, really compact, felt like one piece. And so I listened to those notes and I was like, you know, I really like the font on this D one, but let me fix the spacing issue that they're pointing out. And so I made that one look as consistent as possible, have as little spacing issues as possible. And I did some alterations on it as well. And so I resubmitted to everyone. I said, hey, I did some alterations. I know you guys pick these ones, but check these ones out now. I fixed the spacing on it. And what do you guys think? And uh, I had mentioned D specifically. I was like, I did a lot of work on this. I changed how the eye looks, etc. And, you know, Gary and a couple of the aliens agreed. They're like, yeah, that looks really good. I, I, I like that one. So, you know, Gary had his option of C and D was a close second, he said, for him. So uh, I felt that was enough, you know, like at mm -hmm. the end of the day, you can only you, you can listen to everyone if you'd like, but you can also listen to your gut. So even though everyone liked these particular numbers that I didn't, they like these these designs more than the one that I cared for. Um, at the end of the day, it's my project and it's something I'm going to have to look at all the time. And if I'm not happy with the logos that everyone else picked, then it might not be the right logo for you as the creator. Mm -hmm. So um, I went with my gut. I adjusted accordingly to kind of like mimic the things that they liked about those other uh, fonts. And I felt like it was successful. So I'm moving forward with the one I liked initially. And I actually like the adjustments based off of everyone's suggestions. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Again, it's, it's cool that you put it out. I'm, I'm, a, I think, I think the logo looks cool. In fact, um, it's funny that you say it was D because I felt at the end that it looked a fuck of a lot like A and B and maybe D mm. looks like the fusion of A and B that I wanted. You know, I, I gave Scott the, 
I bamboozled Scott a little bit because I think I said something <laughs> like, I like the, I like part, I like this graphic part of A, but the font in B. And then you combine those two and I was like, oh, I don't like that at all. <laughs> was, <laughs> yeah. You were like, that's weird, Keith. I, or, or you you gave another wave. And I was I like, you abandoned that one. You abandoned yeah, and A completely. <laughs> yeah, you, ab- you abandoned the new A, which was supposed to be your dream logo. And I was like, yeah, it turns out it didn't look as, as good together as I thought. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you ended up with the logo you you did. Um, I like that one. I think it looks amazing and it's a great lesson in following your gut, you know, soliciting the feedback and then going from there again, these logos weren't all that different. Of course, they were all Mm -hmm. mild variations. This is very normal in the, in the course of logo design. If you hire a logo designer, they're going to give you four or five options and then you're going to choose one of those options and then they're going to give you variations on those options when you do logo design. So very normal as part of the process. And I'm glad it ended up with, uh, you having a, dope logo that you like yeah man i'm excited it has a nice retro vibe to it and totally even though this particular story takes place in modern times um my history with paradise hills it's it's the area i grew up in san diego so it reminds me of childhood paradise hills reminds me of when i was a kid and that was in the 80s so it kind of has this retro 80s vibe to it Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, remind me to say some shit tomorrow um, or we, on our retreat. Okay. Right on. Um, Cause yeah, yeah. You're, 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 I may, I hopefully will remember it. So we'll go from there. Okay. Um, all right. So my third thing, my third thing, um, I worked on Kadoja. You know, I'm happy because we're, we're getting toward the end of Kadoja here. So it, it, it's time. I have an artist. I have Tony Gregory lined up for Kadoja Volume 4, Symphony of Madness, Issue 3. Of course, the Kickstarter to Issue 2 has uh, has funded. It's done. And, and that's in the rear view. And now it's about producing that. And I'll be doing the lettering over the next couple of weeks and getting that ready. But uh, I'm also working on the script right now to number three. And... I'm happy because the the couple basic skeleton parts of doing the script are behind me. Um, I just started doing it a couple days ago. And so part one of the way I do scripts is I just do a very quick scene outline. I just say scene A, two pages, this thing happens. Scene B... X pages, these characters are there and this thing happens, right? It can be Kadoja, it can be, you know, whatever character, right? And then after that, what I do is I get into the page. Page one, this specific subcomponent of scene A happens. Page two, this specific subcomponent of scene A happens. And I got so into it that I ended up doing it in uh, two days, you know, basically like three hours instead of about the scheduled four and a half, five hours. And now it's ready to go. It's ready for me to actually write the individual page scenes. Um, and, And it's interesting to me, the, the big difference you get when you start to get more granular. Um, to use an example of scene A, I believe my note to myself for scene A was simply, look, it's Kadoja Symphony of Madness. A lot of people out there have read it. And if you haven't, hey, I got a website. You can get some books on the website. It's keitharfoster.com. But it's H.P. Lovecraft meets Godzilla. And the Lovecraft madness, hence the title Symphony of Madness, is there. And so for scene A, I think I, I think I put something like some shit to convey the madness, two pages. That's what I put. But when it came that time to writing that, now I got to think of what that some shit is. Some shit isn't good enough. And I, I ended up 
coming up with this idea and I'm like, Ooh, I like that idea. That's, that's a little different. You know, I haven't done that in any of the previous Kadoja volumes and I think it's a cool way to convey it. And what's nice is I think I was just feeling a vibe because I did that for two or three other scenes along the way of the book where, you know, again, I just had this placeholder for a general thing. And then once I got down into the action or into the, the important, you know, development that happens, I was really pleased with it. So now I can see the issue. Now I can see the shape of the issue, the action that's happening, the things that are happening, what it's building to. And I'm very excited about it. You know, this is, uh, I guess the word is penultimate. This is the penultimate issue of this Kadoja arc. And uh, the final issue is going to be, you know, pretty bonkers, I think. And so I believe that I've done a good job setting this thing up to position it for what's going to be a wild finale when it comes time for the final issue of this whole mega arc. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. And, and, you know, like we talk about, nailing those endings are the hardest thing to do. And if you're having this nice crescendo of action coming up right before that final issue, that's that's very exciting. Fun fact. There's an idea that I had had for a potential Kadoja future series. And I don't know if other writers out this out there are like this or other artists like this. But I was like, fuck it. I'm putting it in now. I'm putting it in right now. Like it could have been its own storyline, but instead I'm going to jam it in here because I think it's that cool. Mm. And, uh, and so, you know, I was debating like, do you know, it's always this, do I keep it for later or do I use it now? But I was like, screw it. It's more interesting if I use it right now. And, uh, and we go from there. So I'm, I'm excited that I decided to put it in there It'll have a minor role in this, and who knows? Maybe it'll have a major role later, but uh, I, I dig it. I dig it. So, yeah, I mean, and that's what happens when you get down to the scene level. You challenge yourself, like, I don't know, man, maybe this needs more. And then you're like, wait a minute, I have more. I've been thinking of this more for a while, and we're going to put it in right the fuck now. So, anyway, um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it, and it means I'll need to develop it a little bit more in these last few pages of this, um, you know, volume four. That's awesome, man. Yeah, super exciting. I'm looking forward to that when that does come out. Um, so my third thing was I did some character design. So Paradise Hills is, you know, rolling. So what I need to do is make sure I have the characters down. So uh, a lot of the times what I end up doing is just jumping into the action. I just start drawing the book and I'm like, yeah, this is what the character looks like. And as the story goes along, I'm like, man, I really should have done this from the beginning. I like this element of it of the way the character looks and I wish I would have done those on those earlier pages so um, for you artists out there something very helpful is doing these character studies make sure you're making your character sheets so your character can look consistent throughout your story so that's something I started doing recently and it helps a lot so uh, make sure you're doing that making make sure you have that character sheet down so every time it comes to drawing that character if you're not totally versed in them because they're so new to you you can always refer to that and go oh yeah that you know, whatever gun holster is on his left side, not his right side. And you won't be flip flopping that as the story goes on. Yeah, man. Is, are those all of your things? Like uh, you did. That is it. That was my last thing. Okay. So here, here's, here's a fun fact. We are now at the spot where we may or may not have been before. You know, the best part about it is we've actually had a completely different conversation than we did the first time. I, I was see that you're, you beat me to where we were going. I, I thought this was better. 
I thought this version of the conversation was better. It's like we cut out the fluff that didn't need to be there. Yeah. It's like we, we trimmed the tree and that allowed it to blossom into some new directions that we didn't even cover the first time. So yeah. Man, yeah. We I'm, trimmed about I'm 10 minutes off of the conversation. We, it's we a little did, more man. concise. We get to the point a little bit quicker, less me- meandering. Um, yeah. But we definitely did go to different places than we did the first time around. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say I recommend it as a practice, but no. I think it worked pretty well. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no, <laughs> it definitely worked this time, but not going to do it again on purpose for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, man. So um, we're on to the main topic, right? Or do you have one more thing? We are on to the main topic. Overshowing and overtelling. So Keith, yeah. we were thinking of things to talk about this week. This is something you came up with. What made this come to mind for you? Yeah, dude, such a such a great like this. This is what 119 episodes does together, man. It's like fucking it's like chemistry, baby. It's like it's like, I don't know, Chris Paul and fucking Tyson Chandler back on the Hornets with that beautiful half court lob chemistry, man. You threw the lob perfect for me. Um, So what what made me think of this is that there is an unnamed novel I'm listening to right now. And it's. It's got a really interesting premise, a really interesting plot. Like, the plot is super cool. In fact, the plot ends up having a strange application and a strange parallel to the shelved second novel that's going to be a future novel. Um, So I was happy that I kind of backed into that. But it does a lot of overtelling. It it does a lot of. I mean, you you know, I've heard I've heard a couple different phrases about this. Um, the most well known phrase in writing is purple prose, um, which I just defined. Purple prose is when you're just overcooking that shit, you know. So overtelling, purple prose, you know, um, over it is over talking, and so because. Because I don't think anybody's going to be able to pull these quotes out of context, right? Like, dude, if you find out what book, tell you what, if you can figure, if you find out what book this is in and you send it to me and it's correct, I'm going to send you a free comic and it's going to be a good one. It's going to be like the Mr. Ewok one variant of Kadoja volume two, number one. Okay. Oh, nice. I love that cover. Because, yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. So, because... I just don't see any fucking way that you're going to figure this out, right? Like, trust me, man, this is a pretty obscure novel. But I'm going to give a couple quotes here, okay? And then we're going to talk about them because I wrote them down. Heat rose in shimmering waves off the sea of glittering glass. Okay, so that's a short thing. But what I want to what I want to bring attention to there as an example is that did you notice that there was just a tiny bit of symmetry there? There were shimmering waves and glittering glass. Right. Mm -hmm. The the syllables match. And that's a bit coincidental. But what matches that's not coincidental is that there's an adjective and a noun. Right. The waves are shimmering. The glass is glittering. The thing about adjectives is. You can overuse them. You can really overuse those motherfuckers. And and I think this is a novel that that uses adjectives way too much. And when people overuse adjectives. It, it gets a rhythm, you know, like I just gave a good rhythm there. Heat rose and shimmering waves off the sea of glittering glass. There is a rhythm there, right? Now imagine doing that for 380 pages. Right. It's not it's a, a rhythm exhausting. anymore. It is exhausting. It is exhausting. Um, so now I'm going to give a longer passage that I think also exemplifies it, but we'll see what you say. Here we go. 
The heavy, scuffling, grating footsteps had rounded the corner behind her and seemed very close indeed, though she had run almost half the block. A sheet of paper, ghostly white, sailed out of the darkness and wrapped around her legs like a live thing. She yelped with a sharp intake of air. Without stopping, she tore the thing loose. The mangled paper skittered away and glanced back over her shoulder. So that's not, it's not terrible, right? Like right. I'm not, I don't, I don't hate that, but there's a couple things there. Again, what, what you have to think of here is this isn't a novel you're reading out of context because Keith and Scott are talking about it on a podcast. Every single paragraph is like this, right? Mm. So footsteps had three fucking qualifiers. They were heavy, they were scuffling, and they were grating, Right. We then we then proceed to take uh, four sentences about a sheet of sheet of paper wrapping around this person's legs and having them flick it away. Four sentences on that, right? And and what the reason I want to bring that up is because when you have something like that, the author is taking every opportunity to number one slow things down and number two try to amplify the tension and the horror there. Exhausting is the word that comes here too, right? Because if you amplify it the whole time and you just have language this involved and you're using this many words to describe things, again, multiply that by a page, by a chapter, by a novel, and it just drains you. So for me, that is overwriting. Now, we all have different areas in terms of what we think is over and underwritten. But I hope that people there at least can agree that three qualifiers for a single thing, heavy shuffling and grating footsteps, is too many. Um, And then we start to have a little bit of this adjective rhythm again. A ghostly white sheet of paper, the mangled paper, skittered away, right? Like, like, again, we're, we're, we're using a lot of adjectives here. And maybe not so many in one paragraph, but... It's still a pretty decent chunk in a paragraph. And remember that, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of paragraphs make up a novel. So it doesn't take long for this to just, you know, like what I find myself doing, Scott, when I was listening to it, I'm going like this. I'm going like, I'm doing like the wrap it up B motion. You know, like, can we, <laughs> yeah. can we, can, you know, like I, I tend to like, so what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm taking my index finger and I'm circling it in the air. Like, can we please get going here? Right. Like the, let's, the hurry it up movement. Yeah. Let's, let's we hurry all know it up that here. one. We all yeah. know. Exactly. Exactly. And and I'm I'm sitting there like listening to an audio book wherever I am and I have to go like, come on, motherfucker, let's go. Right. So so I think those are just two examples. Again, in a way, I'm glad I'm listening to this novel. It goes back to the Stephen King thing of, you know, hey, sometimes, you know, like maybe reading, maybe you don't want to read all the bestest, bestest novels because you're going to learn a lot from the novels that are a couple cuts below the bestest, bestest. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think overtelling is a thing. Overtelling. You know, the funny thing is people overtell because they don't have confidence in themselves, in their own language, in their own writing. Unfortunately, the way that it gets conveyed when it's on the printed pages, it makes it appear that the author doesn't have trust in you. Right. Because they're they're now conveying too much of the novel to you or of, you know, this happens in comics too, right? Or of the comic to you. And they're not letting you play around in the space enough. 
Yeah, definitely. And and that's something I pointed out with Ed a, a long time ago and, and not that he was doing it. Um, you know, I think it was just purely a conversation of like, I like that we don't handhold in our books. It's mm-hmm. like we don't need to tell them everything that's going on because n- number one, there's pictures. So they can they can see what's going on. So we don't need to explain everything that's happening. But there's also like nuances in dialogue and the way people talk. So, you know, that's something that we would also use in the book, you know. So you also don't you don't want to go to the point where you're doing too little and, you know, and and um, so I can definitely see how those can be exhausting, like those those specific examples. And like you said, the second one, it's not terrible, but mm-hmm. but yeah, there's a lot of adjectives in there. And could you get rid of a couple of them and that be a little more interesting just by getting rid of a couple? Absolutely. Exactly. Like it kind of builds to this suspense of what's happening with this character. Is this character being chased down by someone? What's about to happen? And then so it's nice to paint the picture. But like, are you painting the picture or are you overly complicating the picture like Mm -hmm. is there you're describing every single trash can you know every piece of trash in the scene it's just like no 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 like get get the big strokes get those broad strokes in there and and you know paint the picture effectively and there's definitely on the artist end there's there's definitely a way to do this where you're over complicating the page you know and um something to go with backgrounds right like if you have a crazy cluttered background in every single panel that can also be exhausting it's just like okay you're you're kind of the reader has to do a little more work when they're looking at that page and going okay what what is going on here because the action isn't necessarily focused because there's so much going on in the backgrounds and that's why you want to kind of have those anchor panels where those establishing shots you know on each page it's like all right you can put a lot of detail in that first establishing shot if that's what you're doing and that way your audience get gets this broad idea of what's going on on in this scene specifically where they are you're, you're painting the picture of the room that they're in the building the park whatever right um another way you can complicate and over so it was like the overdrawing of a page is what's your style like you know like like number one is those backgrounds right like because that'll you do too many you're detracting from uh, what's going on in the story you do too little everyone's confused as to where these characters are and where the hell are the backgrounds right right so there, there's a fine line there um, but also with your style, you know, like Frank Miller over time, he just simplified his style more and more and more. And, you know, that can be a criticism with like a lot of 90s artists. It's like, OK, they throw a lot of hatching down. But what does any of it mean? You know, mm-hmm. and and, you know, there's there's specific artists where you go. Yeah, I can see why that's an issue with this artist, because I kind of don't understand their cross hatching. But then you have other artists that's like, they know exactly why they're doing it. Like, why they're laying it down the way they do, I don't know. That's something they know. But, like, when you look at it, you go, like, this is just right. Because mm-hmm. there's a mess, There's a method to their madness. They know exactly why they're doing it. But, you know, it doesn't mean that everyone knows how to do it that way. And that's kind of what makes their style their style. So, um, I know when I was trying to do that more complicated, cross-hatchy style, 90s style, I didn't know what I was doing. And so you can overdraw an image, you can overcomplicate an image by just trying to throw more and more lines down. And if you don't know what you're doing, that's going to come across more often than not. Like, hey, why are there so many lines on this page? Like, I think they just they're just trying to fill it up, you know, just to make it look Mm -hmm. like they put a lot of time in. And that's not necessarily something that you want to do. 
Yeah, it makes me wonder, as as you're talking, it's making me think of, believe it or not, music. Because, hey, it all, it doesn't it seem to come back to music a lot for me. Um, I don't think this applies with prose, but it's a comics podcast, so great news for everybody. I remember um, there's this great thing I heard, and I've heard it from a few different places in terms of music. And it's that when you're mixing a song, when you're making a song and when you're mixing a song, you should be able to sit there and and basically kind of, you know, like from track to track, right? If I'm looking at the tracks in like a multi-track computer screen with all these waveforms in front of me, what what I should be able to do is is take a line and and draw that line and move it around to the one track that is the focus at that point in the song for every song, right? So let's say you start a song and it's got a start a song. Hey, <laughs> hey now. You're an all-star. Beer plus scotch. Beer, beer plus scotch and I'm an all-star. I get my game on. <laughs> and then I perform in Sturgis and I don't wear masks. Anyway, uh, so, you know, you might have a song where it starts with a drum break and okay, that's obvious. The drum break is the focus and then the bass comes in and then the guitars come in and then the vocals come in and then the vocals are the focus and then the vocals disappear and then you have a solo. So the solo is the focus and then you might have another drum break and then you might go back to the vocals and then you do whatever, right? Those, that is the focus line, the through line of what the focus in the song is and in mixing the song, you need to understand what things should be focused in each part of the song because that's going to dictate how you mix it. And I think comics have a big parallel there, right? You need to understand what is the focus of the story and what you need to focus on so that you can move that focus around. You know, you get to a brand new scene. Hey, panel one, that big page where you establish the scene, that's gonna, the background is going to need to be the focus, and then after that, it's going to move to the characters and it's going to move to the action and it's going to move to maybe the environment if the environment is important. But I wonder out loud if that's a, you know, maybe that's a pretty decent way for people to think about it in terms of their art. I mean, I defer to you. You're the artist. No, that all makes sense. Um, and, you know, that's something I'm dealing with right now with the thumbnails of Paradise Hills. So I was able to lay it out and I kind of wanted to hit a 10 page marker. And I did. But looking back at those pages, there's there's a lot of focus per page that I want to emphasize. But because I was kind of working on a page count, I think I might have crammed too much stuff in per page. And that leads me to go, I think the story's longer. You know, it's it's like what's happening in the story, you wouldn't think it would need more than 10 pages, but it just might. You know, it needs some breathing room there. And you need to have those emphasis like where you see them in the story. It's like what's important on this particular page? What's what's the story going on, on this page? Okay, this is the most important thing. Or what's the what's the story you're trying to convey? It's not necessarily what the character is doing or what he's saying, but maybe this particular scene it's where he's at. Like is that the focus? You know, mm -hmm. and, and so that's something that I'm I'm personally dealing with right now. So it's just um really trying to f focus in on what's important per page and for the story. It makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we are just bouncing all over the place. But the Zucker Brothers, who did Airplane, um, the Naked Gun movies, mm-hmm. uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, I think they did some other things as well. They, they, uh, you know, it's almost like a, a, an interesting way to visualize this, is the Zucker Brothers loved putting one joke in frame. And, uh, and sometimes that joke would be in the foreground, and sometimes that joke would be in the background. And so, again, I think that's you know, that's another way in your brain to, like, visualize it. And, uh, hey, if you want to watch an old Zucker Brothers movie, then, you know, they're, they're funny. <laughs> um, some of the humor, some, be warned, some of the humor absolutely does not hold up uh, to modern times. So if you're not familiar with the Zucker Brothers or you're not of a certain age like your boy Keith, then just know that some of that humor may not be funny at all today. <laughs> just <don't laughs> know. It may not be appropriate. It might yeah, still it may... be funny, but it might not be appropriate. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, again, it, it's about it's about making sure that you are focusing. Hey, everybody drink on the word focus this episode. Right? Or or if you want, go back about eight minutes and then drink again on the word focus this episode. Dude, you won't even make it till the end. You won't even make it to bringing the bullshit. I promise. You won't be able um, to focus. You won't. <laughs> that'll be the last thing. You'll you'll be able to focus on the toilet. You know what I'm saying? Because you'd be throwing up there. Yeah. See what I'm doing? Right. Right. But, but I, I think it comes back to the main thing, right? That's what, that's what properly showing and properly telling is going to do. You're not overshowing. You're not overtelling. You're not overdoing it. You're not giving, you know, just confusing the reader. You're not bombarding the reader with information. You're, you're leading the reader along, but you're letting the reader you know, you're serving as a guide to the reader as opposed to holding the reader's hand and dragging them through a scene or dragging them through a comic page. And to quote Keith, the main thing is the main thing. <laughs> have I said that before? Oh, yeah. I believe you Fuck have. Yeah. And if amazing. you haven't, then then to quote me. <laughs> <laughs> haven't, haven't we talked about putting some of our um, our quirky things on t-shirts before? <laughs> yes we have yeah for making comics get on for sure yeah 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 the main thing is the main thing would be it would be a pretty great t-shirt actually it's very accurate <laughs> rock on yeah i mean it's it dude it's, it's it's bulletproof when you really think about it it is it is absolutely <laughs> Right on, man. Um, what do you think? You think we're good on this subject matter here? I, I think so. I mean, I, yeah, I think you know we we can talk about it for fifteen minutes or for four hours, but I think you get the point in fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Find that calibration. Understand that the right calibration is going to be different for different people. I personally err on the side of. I'm not going to say minimalism, but I favor economy. I value economy. Yes. So for me, it's going to economy always be about... Economy of words is huge. Exactly. Economy of words. So when you pick up a lot of my comics, you're just like, I, I can't see myself ever having these dialogue heavy pages you know there is one dialogue heavy scene in kadoja but that was the first issue i ever did it's when murakami is lecturing to the college yeah, doing the lecture that's the one that came yeah, yeah and and you know actually there's a part in i think the third issue of the first volume where velez goes on a big lecture about monsters over time and stuff like that but um but in general the more i i go down this road the more i just value a certain balance of words and images on the page and I, we've talked about this before i just read a comic i can't remember which one it was where you know you turn a page and it's just this shit ton of words mm-hmm. and you're like oh my god you know, and, and, and it's silly when you think about it in the cosmic way, because I read novels all the time. You know, right. those are nothing but words, but there's but novels aren't comics. And sometimes yes. you turn that page and you see a shit ton of words. and You're like, oh, God, 
there's an expectation when you read comics, you know, and and when you see and we've talked about with like even Neil Gaiman, where you see those prose pages where you get the art and then you have these paragraphs along the side of it. It's just like, fuck, I didn't I don't know that this is what I signed up for. I think I signed up to read comic books, not prose with with some pictures here and there, you know, so um, I hear you. That's that's what happens when you have just a little bit too much going on. Wanderers has that in issue one. And it's kind of like uh, Lee laying out to Mars the rules of the world, basically, or or how mm-hmm. we got where we are. And then that's it. And then everything else after that is easy breezy. But it's yeah. just that's the part of the story that you need. You need that backstory to just understand this world and how they got there. And uh, you're all up to date. And then you just go on and go forward and have a good time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, random wanderers thing. I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever mentioned this to you. Any any conscious? So I know you're a Planet of the Apes fan. Yes, there's some Planet of the Apes vibes in that. A little bit, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Um, okay, the cage, the little cage scene. Hell yes, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, definitely vibes of that in there. And like, honestly, it, not on purpose. It's just okay. I I love Planet of the Apes, so I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. And doesn't and that make glad... it more fun though? When when it does. you, it you totally find that you're fun. like, oh shit, yeah, this. I I mean, I did kind of put this in here this way. Oh, I think I know I have a homage cover that I'm going to be doing in the near future then. Oh, hell yeah. Look at that. We're, we're, <laughs> we're doing all kinds of dope shit on making Synergy. Right yeah, yeah. Right on, man. Hey, you got any bullshit you want to bring? Well, I have one thing of bullshit and we'll see where it goes. Okay. So last week on the... Uh, I'm just going to do a quick timeline of Scott and Keith's lives here. Last week on the uh, podcast, we were right after the trade deadline in the NBA. Ah, uh, yes. And and I mentioned that the Sixers traded Thibule, right? <sighs> and and so then then I get this random ass text from you like what two three nights later and you're mm-hmm. like Thibule's made four threes in the first half because he the Sixers traded him to Portland. Mm-hmm. And uh and and I was like that's three more than he made this year with the Sixers I think <laughs> right like motherfucker just went off making threes and like we traded him cuz he couldn't make threes. Dude, it was freaking bonkers. It was one of the worst games I had ever watched. I stopped watching halfway through the fourth. It was just too much to take. Um, so the new look Lakers has D'Lo, Beasley, um, Obamba, and Hallib- or no uh, Vanderbilt. Um, first game together, they all look great. LeBron was out. We still beat the Golden State Warriors, so that was yeah. huge. So yep. I was psyched. I was like, fuck, if we can do this without LeBron, I'm really excited for this season. Yeah. The next game, they shit the bed. And honestly, I don't know if it was just the new guys not doing, not being as effective as they were the first game because like Vanderbilt was just trying way too hard. You mm-hmm. know, he's like an energy guy and he runs all over the place and it's really helpful. Like he's getting, you know, offensive and defensive boards. Like he's just, just all over. He's He's awesome, right? Second game, he's doing too much to the point where he's fucking up. And yeah. then on top of that, like like you said, Thibule made four, th- four threes, and he was a defensive juggernaut. He yeah. was defending all over the place. But that's oh, he's what, always that's, been that dude. Yeah, yes, he's, he's always been that guy, but he was final. He was just a D guy. Now he's yeah. a three and D guy out of nowhere. Yeah. And on yeah. top of that, at one point, the Blazers were making 20% from two and 70% from three. 
Yeah. So yeah. that lets you know what a miserable fucking game it was. It was like everyone was hitting shit. Dane yeah. was hitting half court shots. It was like yeah. a fucking circus. And they were just clowning us. And by the fourth quarter, it hadn't changed. And I was like, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. Um, the bounce back was last game. Unfortunately, I missed it. I was at a viewing. Um, and um, one of those bad viewings, not a good viewing. And yeah. Not for like a movie or anything. Um, yeah. But the Lakers played again. LeBron was back and they dominated the Pelicans. Yep. And so it was just like, dude, that's that's what I want to see. That's what I'm here for. Yep. Um, but yeah, man, I had I wanted to just keep talking to you about the Thibule thing because it was so upsetting. But I was so upset. I just couldn't talk to anyone. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I think on some level, look, this isn't the case with every team. But they're the, like the modern NBA just has this weird quirk where like, dude, you can show up some night and the team hits 50% of their threes and you just get your shit kicked out of you. Yeah. It's right. Just like that, night. that's happened a lot in the playoffs over the last couple of years where it's just like you show up and the team just rains threes and you lose by 30. It's just, it's just bonkers the way it is. So, so it happens, right? Like you just walked into a, into Portland that night and Portland decided to get hot and just smoke you. Right. And that yeah, happens. 100%. You could, you could, you could play them two nights later and they don't make shit and you beat them by 30. Right. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, that's, that's Portland. They live and die by the three. But the reason I wanted to mention that Scott is because the next day I'm sitting there and somehow the Thibule thing comes back and I'm like, wait a minute. I really enjoyed Matisse Thibule's time with the 76ers traded players get their jerseys discounted heavily on uh-huh. nba.com why don't i go look up how expensive a matisse thibule sixers jersey is and scott in their alternate city jersey this year which is a dope jersey it's white with red cursive and it just says city of brotherly love on it mm. a thibule jersey was 32 dollars. oh right on i bought it it's coming Hell here in yeah. a few days Fuck Dude, yeah. those are great. I love those. I, you know, for for quite some time, I would really hesitate on those role players that I really liked for the Lakers because mm-hmm. with the Lakers, you never know. Role players usually last two to three years at the most, and then they're gone. They yeah. either start getting really big, and the Lakers just refuse to pay anyone that's not a star, or yeah. they're not producing. They get traded away, and they start producing on another team. That that happens yeah. a lot. So, like one of my guys was Kuz. And I never got his jersey, and it kind of bummed me out. It was just like, man, I really should have looked for that when he got traded. It probably would have been 30 bucks too. Um, one, totally. one that I'm happy that I did buy right away was D'Angelo Russell. I have D'Angelo yep. Russell's um, rookie jersey, and he kept his number one. Normally, he goes under zero. He played zero in college. Um, mm-hmm. He was one for us because Nick Young had zero. And we all know how that ended. And then he went to uh, the Wolves and he was back to zero. So um, I was like, oh, man, he's probably going to switch to zero that no one has it. Kuz is gone. Westbrook mm-hmm. is gone. Young <laughs> is gone. And uh, But he stuck with one. So I was a little happy okay. about that. I'm like, right on. Cool. I can sport my original jersey and people in the audience, if I went to a live game, wouldn't be confused. No, I, I actually think that, that those kind of jerseys are like fan cred jerseys. True. You know, if, if you if you show up to your Laker buddies and you're rocking a D-Lo one or you're rocking a Coos jersey, like now Coos won a title. So that's always going to like, you know, make somebody special. But mm-hmm. you're going to get street cred there. And I think Thibule as a Sixers jersey, like that's a good deep cut. Like, dude, oh, totally. he was second. He was second team all defense twice. Like he's no joke. Right. Like yeah. this isn't this isn't just some chump. 
Um, and first of all, if you make the NBA, you're no chump. Right. But, right. But uh, but yeah. So so all good. Hey, wasn't like Nick Young was his nickname Swaggy P? Wasn't that Swaggy his, P? Yeah. Swaggy P. Dude. Yeah. Hold it. Wait a minute though. Wasn't he? He was super. He he had his moments with the Clippers, if I remember right. Yeah, that was he probably did. the team. Because when so we signed I, I him, I was say, actually psyched about it because yeah. I went to a. I think it was a. I think it was a Laker Clippers game. Um, I and that was when they were hot. I think they had their yeah. Lob City going already. Yeah. and he was Lakers part of Lob City. were winning. And then Nick Young proceeded to hit f- three or four threes back to back to back. And he yeah. got them back in the game. And I think the Clippers won. And yeah. so, like, when we signed him, I was psyched. I was like, fuck, yeah, I like this guy. Like, he's he's really good. And then he's just he's a bit of a knucklehead and a little inconsistent. But overall, yeah. he was, you know, pretty decent percentage from three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I will say this, too. Nick Young was one of the nicest NBA players I was ever able to have a conversation with. Um, I've mm. I've mentioned before that I had Clipper season tickets for, I don't know, four or five years. Um, I probably just would have kept them the whole time. But um, fencing, fencing was the number one reason I just dropped the Clipper season tickets. Because, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I like the Clippers, but I view it as a gateway to the NBA. I love the NBA. Yeah. And um and but when you have Clipper season tickets, they basically give you two two nights a year where you can hang out before the game and try to get autographs. So you get one one side on the Clippers, and in those cases it's guaranteed because they're the home team. And then you get to pick a road team. And uh, and it's not guaranteed. So you might get lucky, you might not. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that. So if offhand, offhand, the players, well, well, here's what always happens, right? The superstars barely make themselves available. Right. Um, and some superstars um, actually don't even attend the pregame shoot around. They do a shoot around at like two o'clock. So they don't even have to fuck with fans asking them for autographs. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking at you, Chris Paul. Dude, I was okay. So I was about to say Chris Paul because my friend, um, she had season tickets as well. Yeah. And I was, and she had mentioned that this, this fan signing thing was happening. And yeah. I was like, dude, if you could get me CP3 or Blake Griffin's signature, that would yep. be rad as fuck. Yep. And she goes, okay, I'll try. She goes, yep. I'm only allowed X amount, but she has her son, right? And mm-hmm. so she's like, yeah, I, th- I think I can get it done. And then um, she got me Blake Griffin's. Yep, she did not get me CP3s. Who I that yep. was the one I wanted. I wanted CP3s. Wasn't even there. He, was he doesn't there. even make himself available. He does a 2 p.m. shoot around instead of yeah. like the late thing. And what was worse was later on he convinced Blake Griffin to not do the pregame shoot around too. Oh dang! Now I'm happy because I still I have a couple things that are signed by Blake Griffin from back in the day. But uh, but yeah, and so um, offhand, just random thing. Um, the nicest people, the people like there were some people that actually had conversations. DeAndre Jordan with the Clippers, super nice guy. He was the nicest kid. I think my kids were high five kids for one game one time. Oh, and nice. DJ, like DJ was so cool to them. That's what they said. They're like, oh, DJ was awesome. Like Blake, Blake Griffin and Chris Paul barely, you know, they just, I think Chris Paul went by and Blake Griffin like gave five, but he was stone faced where DJ was actually cool. But what you'll find is the mid tier guys and the bottom of the bench guys are the guys that are like the best. Yeah, and for sure. so they're just so, happy yeah, to I be think, there. They're in the NBA. Yeah. Well, no, I mean they're but they're also good. Like you know, I'm I'm talking about like so like Nick Young actually held a conversation, 
Evan Turner, remember him? Um, yeah. He was with mm-hmm. the 76ers. He was super nice. I had like a long conversation with him. Um, trying to think who else was cool. There were some other dudes out there that were cool. Um, I thought it was hilarious. I got Jeremy Lin's signature way back oh, in the right day. On. But it, dude, it was post-Linsanity. Have I? Okay, wait a minute. We got we to gotta go deep here for a second. It was post-Linsanity. And like not only – so Jeremy Lin was accessible as a, a visiting member of the Rockets. But all dude, he would just like people were like, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. Right. And and he would like he signed everything, but he had reduced his signature to like one stroke. It was like, that's what that's the Blake signature I got. It's like a one stroker. It almost just like an R. Oh man, my my Blake Griffin, I I, I have it. Eh, maybe maybe when you hang out, um, I think I still have it on a basketball in the garage because I oh, right I, I encased it. I got this cool like candy apple red um, Clippers basketball. Um, but hold it, have I have I told you my Jeremy Lin story with like my wife or no? No, I haven't. No, I actually haven't heard that story yet. Okay, so summer league 2010. Jeremy Lin was a nobody. I had actually read about him, and so so Jeremy Lin, fun fact, made his legend in the NBA. By going toe to toe with John Wall, the then number one pick, and I oh, think yeah. the 2010 Summer League, mm-hmm. I was at that game. I was at oh, that no game. Oh no shit! Rachel, oh yeah, Rachel and I were at that game. And even better, um, you know. So I had read about Jeremy Lin. I was like, dude, this guy averaged like 30 points a night at Harvard. He's only known as like a straight line driver and a shooter, but maybe he can make his way into the NBA. So I was dialed into Jeremy Lin way before Lin Sanity, and. Um, and so Jer- the game is over. Jeremy Lin like plays this. You know, he was that was like the buzz of the gym. Like, dude, Jeremy Lin's just playing John Wall pound for pound right now. He's he's in the stands afterwards, and he's on our side. And and Rachel's like, and Rachel falls in love. I mean, she's Filipino. Why wouldn't you fall in love with like an Asian player in the NBA? Asian basketball you know? player, yeah. Hell yes, man. It's amazing, right? So. So she's like, oh, my God, you know, like, this is so cool. Jeremy Lin's on our side. I'm like, you want to take a photo with him? And she's like, I'm not sure. I'm like, hey, if you want to take a photo with him, you go down there right the fuck now. You go down now and then I'll take that photo. And she's like, "Okay." she runs down. I go up there. I snap a photo. She's still got it. Oh, that's Rachel, awesome. Rachel and Jeremy Lin, 2010, years before Lin's sanity, before he'd even signed his first NBA contract, man. Dude, that's badass. That's dope, oh, right? I- yeah, I don't think we can yeah. get better than that. We're going to go ahead and leave it on that. All right, uh, I'm going to rate this beer, this uh, Peter's Brand Classic, 5.0. It's just okay. fine. It's not bad. It's not good. I don't suggest you buy it. Um, yeah. You're better off just getting a box of Coors Banquet. Okay, okay. Kilt Lifter is a 7.5. I, I love it as a Scotch Ale. It's a good, clean Scotch Ale. I'm not going to go into Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale territory. I think you can get, you know, like... Maybe it's a 7.5, maybe it's an 8. I'm feeling 7.5. It's good, it's solid, and for the price, you can't beat it. I mean, we're talking about like, you know, 11 bucks for a six-pack, something like that. Solid. Yeah, Yeah, really good. Right on. And then if you dig this podcast and want to talk about the stuff we talked about, if you want us to talk about basketball less, email us. We're not going to listen to you, but you can email us about it. Um, (laughs) Makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and hey, I uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, give us five stars. It helps spread the word. It helps make the algorithms your bitches, and that's what we all want. So if you like the podcast, take a few seconds, give us five stars. It matters. We appreciate it. We always look at those things, and uh, and we thank you for it. 
Absolutely. And if you want to pick up my books, Second Shift and Wanders of Milisanda, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Superheroes, Wanders of Milisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, you can pick those books up at accidentalaliens.com. We don't have a Patreon or anything like that. All we ask is you buy our books. If we're not running a Kickstarter, pick our books up directly from us, from our websites, and from my two, it's accidentalaliens.com. Yep, and for me, it's KeithRFoster.com. All of my books are there. Three Protectors is there. That's Kung Fu in Space. Kadoja is there. That is Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft. And soon, animals will be there. So uh, I'm excited for that, and I hope you are too. KeithRFoster.com. Get some books and catch up on the books you missed if you don't have them yet. Awesome, man. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Yay, yay. Yay.